Karaoke is not something, I mean, you can do it by yourself, but like it's something to do with people. But you got to be careful and not be the hog, man. You got to remember karaoke <laughs> etiquette. Everybody gets to sing before you sing your second song. And they're going to sit there and they're not going to put the song in. They're going to act like, oh, I don't know, it's my turn. But that's just them being ultra polite. Instead of being like, oh, can I, maybe, oh, well, if you don't know yet, maybe I'll put in another David Bowie song. <laughs> Five songs later. People will be like, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. But they'll be thinking, this clown is a child. Get away from this fool. All right, what's up, Kodakara Squad? Welcome back to the podcast. So this week, we talked to Dr. Capital, who is a music professor with an actual doctorate in music. He makes YouTube videos teaching guitar and music theory in Japanese. He speaks amazing Kansai Ben. And so in the podcast, we talk about his experience learning Japanese, how music helped him with acquiring pitch accent, and his experience living and studying abroad in the country. But do you know what I have a doctorate in? Absolutely destroying the like button. <laughs> but hope you guys enjoy the podcast. All right, so uh, Dr. Capital, can you give us a quick background of who you are and where you're at today? Yeah, so uh, I'm Dr. Capital, called Dr. Capital because I actually have a doctorate in music. I've worked a long time teaching music in universities and colleges, like uh, University of Southern California, Thornton School of Music, and University of North Texas. Also taught at Musicians Institute in Hollywood, and just like a, a whole bunch of different colleges. So that's like a big part of what I've done. Also, I'm just an original music artist. You know, I record albums and my own songs and release them digitally and on CDs and stuff. I've done lots and lots of those over the years with different bands. And then, you know, I, I'm an author. I've just put out my first uh, book, which I'm really excited about. It's kind of a bestseller right now in Japan, which is really cool. I wrote it in Japanese. You know, I'm also a YouTuber. So I've got a a YouTube channel where I go through J-pop songs, which are like Japanese pop songs, and I cover some songs that I like, but before I do the cover version, I do sort of like a breakdown of the music theory parts of the song that I really like the most and try to make it fun and sometimes really funny, but always like actual musical learning. And that's kind of what I'm about, like those, those things doing all of those things kind of still now. Yeah, like I came uh, I came across your channel. I would like learn these covers from, from your videos as well, but I was really blown away when I heard you speak speak Japanese and also saw an interview oh, where awesome. you, you spoke Japanese. Can you talk more about like that, how you, how you learned Japanese and how you got into Japan? Yeah, okay, well, thanks, Eric. That's really cool, man. I'm glad that you, uh, you know, liked my channel and that you thought my Japanese was good. Yeah, I mean, uh, when I was a kid, my parents, um, thought it would be a good idea to have some exchange students stay with us, like uh, college students and stuff come and stay with our house to like a homestay. So we were a host family to a bunch of different students from actually several different countries. But it was at a time when there was like tons of Japanese people coming to Oregon. I think I learned later that there was like a TV show in Japan called like Oregon Kara Ai, like from Oregon with love or something like that. So I think that might've been the reason. But anyway, there, there was just like uh, an endless supply of Japanese students who wanted to study in Oregon. And my family just had so much fun every time. So we ended up having like one or sometimes more every year. And so I just like, I was surrounded by these cool high school and college age Japanese guys and girls. And I just thought they were really cool. And so I got into just like a little bit of the culture and uh, you know, the a little bit of language from them. And then I studied Japanese in high school, although I never learned really 
how to speak in, in that setting. And then when I got to college, I took Japanese classes and I studied abroad in Japan uh, when I was a junior for six months. And that's where it really got serious. Studying abroad, I don't know how far and how fast you want me to go through this story, uh, if we should stop there or if I should kind of keep giving the full arc, but uh, maybe I'll keep going until you stop. <laughs> So after, I know we were all about exactly. the whole okay, cool. Yeah, yeah we'll get you know get the whole picture of it, and then we can like nitpick parts. That was when I was a junior, and then I came back, and I was just like super addicted. You know, like I was like, okay, I need to learn more. I need to learn more. I did a lot in this six months, but I need to get way better. I need to get way more fluent. I need to go live in Japan. I ended up going to graduate school. Uh, I was at USC, okay, for my undergrad, and then I went up to UC Berkeley. So LA and the Bay Area. I'm totally like. You know, you guys are in my places, man. Um, so I went to UC Berkeley for a master's degree in ethnomusicology, and my specialty was studying Japanese pop music, like researching J-pop. And so that meant I got to go to Japan a lot for research stuff. And while I was there, I joined a band with a Japanese MC, Shingo 2, uh, and we traveled to Japan a lot on tours and uh you know, released albums and stuff over in, in Japan. I was about to say over there, but I'm actually in Japan now, so I'll say over here. Before COVID, I was already coming over like four or five times a year. Basically, whenever I could, uh, based on the school schedule, like I would be teaching, and then I would come here for Christmas break, and then I'd teach, and I'd come for spring break, and then again for the whole summer break, and then usually sometime in the middle of one or both semesters, I would come over for a week or two for some kind of gigs and stuff. So the biggest times that I was doing like really formal learning on my Japanese were the time that I studied abroad in college as a junior. I did six months here and and that was kind of the same deal, basically four hours a day for five days a week. And then that other stretch, 2004-ish, you know, I don't remember what year I did the Japanese school, but for again, like eight months or so, I did Japanese school for four hours a day, five days a week. Do you feel like um, having a mu musical background helped you with language learning? Like, especially when you had other classmates and you could compare um, how fast you were progressing? Because one, one pattern is like a lot of the elite language learners we've, lear we've interviewed is that a lot of them have a musical background as well. But I wonder what your experience was. Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, like to speak fluently, you know, if you think about it, you know, like what is an accent? Like enunciation, a lot of enunciation is kind of rhythm, really. So in Japanese, like the most famous expression is konnichiwa. This is a Japanese way to say it, konnichiwa. But if you ask somebody uh, who just came to Japan to say, hey, say it, say this, they'll say konnichiwa. And so, you know, what's the difference between konnichiwa and konnichiwa? Konnichiwa, I've got like this, uh, you know, I'm accenting the knee because that feels kind of more like it's excellent or, you know, uh, spaghetti or something. I don't know. It feels more kind of like related to English or something. <laughs> Konnichiwa. Uh, and then also, you know, so that kind of like uh, attention, the sensitivity to dynamics, like if it's louder or softer or if it's higher or lower, the intonation. And then the rhythm. In Japanese, the letter N is its own syllable. So, konnichiwa, it's actually... Ko, n, nichi. So there's an n and then a nichi. And if anybody who's like American, when they learn it the first time, they just slam those together and say konichi. But if you're kind of like attuned to rhythm and sensitized to that, then you'll kind of notice, oh, it's konnichiwa. Japanese is very kind of rhythmically precise. Like if you have a, a syllable that is like twice as long, but it's the same sound, 
it means something totally different. Ohashi means chopsticks, but if you extend the O, ohashi, then that's like big bridge. <laughs> so, and it's, if you wrote it in English, it would just be O H A S H I, you know, ohashi. But you didn't study pitch accent like formally or anything, just just from immersion. Mostly immersion, but you know, when you when you're studying like in in school, you know, like、uh, I would have a textbook and there would be a cassette. I would listen to the tape, and so if it said konnichiwa, then I'm not gonna repeat konnichiwa. You know, I would just be listening to the tape and then repeating exactly as I heard it. In that sense, yeah, I was studying intonation formally in school, and sometimes the teacher would correct you. But、uh, mostly, I kind of picked it up from immersion. One of the, th- the ways I know I picked a lot up from immersion was when I studied Japanese in college. I was in Tokyo, and Tokyo-style Japanese is sort of like broadcast Japanese. You know, it's like the standard Kyojungo. It's called like the standard Japanese that has a totally different intonation from West Region Japan, Kansai. So Osaka, Kyoto. Nara, Kobe, all of those places are on the west side, and they have a really different accent. I never learned the Kansai accent in school ever. Nobody ever taught me that. But I had some very close friends who were from the Kansai area, and especially when I was living in LA, like the only people I spoke Japanese with were people from Kansai, and so you know I just ended up picking up that intonation a lot. Without even knowing or meaning to, so that when I went back to Tokyo after that, like my friends in Tokyo would be like, "Why are you speaking Kansai, Ben?" You know,、and、I was like, "Am I? I didn't realize that." So yeah, I think I am kind of like、uh, susceptible to influence just from the environment like that. It's like interesting. It's like you go almost you go to like. Texas or somewhere in the Midwest, for <laughs>、right? example, and you just come back to school and you just have like a like a Midwestern or a Southern、yeah. accent. <laughs> like, what, what happened, Doctor Capital? Dude, you know, it kind of reminds me. Actually, I studied in Japan as a junior, but I studied in England as a sophomore. Oh,、and、really? So,、okay. as a sophomore, I went to England, and for a while, I kind of picked up a few things of like the British accent. You know, I I sometimes tried it out like in public, and people could like hear right through it. What happened? <laughs> It was really strange. Was I was there and I kind of missed America sometimes, and so I would like rent like videos of like、uh, you know like The Godfather or like a bunch of Al Pacino, Robert De Niro kind of movies. Even though I'm from the West Coast, I kind of would come back to America, or I would be talking English in in Britain as if I was like you know in Goodfellas or something. <laughs> like it, I don't know. It's yeah. It's yeah. I feel like I. So I, for some context, I was actually just over in、um, London in the UK,、wow. and I don't know if it's just a me thing, but I just always hear the the accent, and I'm like, oh, let me try、yeah. it. <laughs> I, I totally embarrassed myself. Like I, I think I'd be like going out and just like randomly saying something, they'd see right through me right. and just give me a look. Yeah, but you know, it, it's all reps, you know, trial by fire, you know. One day, one day I'll come through with the British accent. <laughs> It's too deep, man. It's just like there's too many. 
types of it, you know. But it's also really interesting that you mentioned that when you were there、um, on your study abroad, you took classes for three hours、yeah. a day, five days a week,、yeah. and then four hours a day,、um, five days、yeah. a week when you're in language school. And, and, and you mentioned that you used tapes、um, <laughs> oh, yeah. back then, but it, it wasn't really too different.、Uh-huh. We we got there and they would bring out the CD still、yeah. and everything. They'd have a、yeah. couple tapes in there, you know. They they still had their fax machines out there. <laughs> I, I took the the JLPD、so, and they still use like a like a tape or a CD player、yeah. and play it through the class. <laughs> That's awesome, man. So were you guys in Tokyo also? It was a、uh, Saitama. Yeah, we were. Okay. Saitama. Yeah. yeah. Cool. It, it was really interesting because we we're almost at the part where, like, at least where I lived, I was on one side. There was a rice field, and on the other side, there was like a main road in the city.、Uh-huh. So it was a very nice kind of diaspora kind of. Between all of those, but yeah, it, it was a, it was a good time. Saying we both stayed with host、right. families too, so kind of your experience in a nutshell, except kind of flipped around. <laughs>、um. Yeah, well, when I came over, I was with a host family too. It was funny. I actually stayed with、oh. uh, the family of one of the dudes who had been an exchange student at my house. Oh wow! Oh no <laughs> way! I realize now there's so many things you know about Japanese culture that you can't learn until you are kind of you know on the other side of it. And you've been here for a few years, and like one of those things is like, it's not cool to ask people to do certain things because they can't say no. It's not just everybody has their boundaries. Like you know, in American culture, we're like, okay, well, I'm gonna sit here, and then if somebody's like, you can't sit there, then you'd be like, oh, okay, I'm gonna sit someplace else. But、um, like. In Japan, if you are like, "Well, I'm gonna sit here," even if it is somebody else's spot, they might not tell you that that was their spot. Or, this is a stupid example, but like more, much more serious things than this. Basically, you gotta ask, and you gotta be intuitive and a really good reader of somebody's like body language too. Like if I, if we were all hanging out and I was like, you know, let's go get some food tonight, and you were like, "Oh, I don't know if I can." I'd be like, yeah, you can, man. Let's go. Come on, you can do it.、Let's... Like, if somebody said to me, I don't know if I can in Japan, that basically means I can, definitely cannot. <laughs> and so then, at that point, if there's any stuff I do to pressure them and be like, no, no, come on, you gotta go, then I'm like piling a big pressure on them. There was a guy who studied in America for like. His junior and senior years of high school, and lived in my house for like a year or so. A couple years later, in the future, I go to study in Japan,、uh, and we contacted him and asked if I could stay with his family. Well, he wasn't even a college student anymore; like he was like starting his job as a salaryman. And what we didn't realize was that was basically saying, you know, like, "Hey, dude, you owe me." Can I live with your family and your family just like take care of me? And like he didn't have any time for me, and so it just ended up all going on his mom. And his mom didn't know me at all, <laughs> and I was like a totally lame guest because like I didn't understand Japanese customs and culture. You know, the first time、uh, I went to pay her the rent, I just like handed her some money. And she kind of like freaked out and ran out of the room. And I was like, "Wait, what? You don't? Didn't you want this?"、And、I'm just like holding money in my hand. And she comes back into the room and like has an envelope. She's like, "You know, in Japan, we don't give people money. Just it, we put it in an envelope, and you give someone an envelope." Like there was there was just so many hundreds of things like that that I did. That later on, some of them she told me about like that. 
but most of them she didn't tell me about. <laughs> and later on, I was just like so cringy about my whole homestay experience. Did you dudes have that experience? Yeah, yeah, definitely <laughs> a lot of those. <laughs> For you sure. know, one thing I, I used because like in America, I would always um I always like reuse my my uh, towels, right? Just like hanging back yeah. up. And then the first night there, I try to hang up. There's no place to hang up, and I clip it on like their laundry hanging thing. My host mom sees it, and she like calls everybody into the to the laundry room. It's like, oh, look at that! And then they all start laughing at me. I'm like, okay, I didn't know you want to just like wash them every day. There's a bunch of stuff like that with the with the bathing and the washing culture. That's like, uh, for example, taking a shower and or a bath at night. I'm all in on that. When I first got to Japan, my host family. It's funny because you know when you have a host family. You're both trying to, uh, you know, make the the least kind of jarring experience for each other in some ways. I mean, I was definitely like that. Even though I did a bunch of lame stuff, like give her money without putting it in an envelope or whatever, say things that were probably super rude unintentionally. But they would ask me something, and it would be like, "You like showering in the morning, right?" And I'd be like, "Oh,、um, yes." And I'm kind of being like,、um, yes, because partly yes, I do shower in the morning, but also it seems like maybe she wants me to shower in the morning, so I sort of go with that. But then after like you know a couple months of like literally every single morning, she like draws a bath for me and only me, and I'm like the only dude who uses like a whole big old bathtub, and I just like have my ten minutes in there. Meanwhile, all of them are bathing at night, you know, and I realize, oh man. They're completely changing their life routine around like this thing to accommodate my morning showers. I should switch over and do the evening showers. So once I started doing that, I was like instantly like, "Whoa, this is way better. I can wake up like 20 minutes later. My bed head is actually cool. It looks good. But the main thing is just like getting into bed and you got clean sheets in the morning. You know, it's like instead of like going outside, spending a whole day sweating, and then spending Eight hours, just like with your sweaty body seeping into the sheets. <laughs> It's like you go to bed clean, and you wake up still clean. It's cool. So stuff like that, yeah. Yeah, I definitely think the whole experience, really being in a host family, and and really as a whole living over there, you really like get skill points added to your thoughtfulness. Yeah. You know, I I, I guess like right now, hmm, we're we're kind of at this time here where.、Um, We should probably head to the Kodakata message. It was like such an interesting conversation. Well, there's a couple things I realized. Maybe we can、uh, I can touch on. You know, like one of the questions you asked me earlier was like, I mean, the main question was like, how did you learn? And I talked about all the schools I went to. But you know, it was also super important for me to have Japanese friends. You know, like when you go and study abroad, like you might be as I was, like in a cohort of. Like international students having like really close friendships with some really cool Japanese guys who like I had a lot in common with, especially musicians and stuff. That was a really big part. And then、uh, doing a lot of karaoke, learning lyrics. You know, it's a great way to、uh, build your vocabulary. And when you learn a lyric, you know, like we were talking about practicing with our tapes earlier, like just like speaking back the stuff on the phrase tape. A lyric is like that with like. A bunch of extra mnemonic powers 
like built into it because you've got the melody and the chords and the rhythm and you like sing it. So anybody who is studying, you know, like I would really recommend learning a lot of songs. And then the other thing is you got to learn the kanji. If you don't learn to write Japanese characters, you can never build up a vocabulary. There's just too many words that have very similar sounds and like there's no way to catalog them in your mind. If you don't know the kanji, I think one thing you mentioned there too that was very interesting. It came up in the last podcast where we talked to Steve's POV. He mentioned karaoke as well, really yeah. being a big driver of his Japanese. But yeah, I, I think, think they give you a score too after is, you sing it. There's like a、yeah. score. So it's like you know how good your <laughs> Japanese is getting. But you got to be careful and not be the hog, man. You got to remember karaoke <laughs> etiquette. <laughs> Everybody gets to sing before you sing your second song, and they're gonna sit there and they're not gonna put the song in. They're gonna act like, oh, I don't know, it's my turn. But that's just them being ultra polite instead of being like, oh, can I? Maybe. Oh well, if you don't know yet, maybe I'll put in another <laughs> David Bowie song. Five songs later, it'll be like, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. But they'll be thinking, this clown is a child. Get away from this fool. Yeah, yeah, you really hate to see that. That's the ultimate. That's the worst thing you could do in karaoke、yeah. ever, regardless of where you are, any country.、Yeah. But Doctor Capital, I think it's that okay, time、word. of the podcast, and. I know that you've been carefully crafting up a message for the longest time, all the way back in Portland, Oregon, all the way through studying at USC, studying abroad in England, studying abroad in Japan, going to Berkeley, going between Japan a bunch, going and getting your doctorate back at USC again, teaching at USC, and finally all the way here, starting a YouTube channel just for this moment to go and be here on the Kodakata podcast. I know that this has been a big moment for you coming up here. So I'm gonna shine the lights bright onto you, Doctor Capital, to go and share your message to the Kodakata Squad.、Uh, my message is: step in or dive in if you can to uncomfortable situations. If you're studying the language in your classroom, okay, that's great. You speak a little bit in front of those people, and you might be embarrassed the first few times, maybe in front of your teacher or whatever. But you'll get to a place after a few classes where that is not that uncomfortable anymore. So you gotta, instead of staying there, go and find somebody else to talk to, somebody who's better than you. Make a friendship with them. If you study abroad, like I was saying a minute ago, I think the best way that you can really grow, kind of in anything, is if you're pushing yourself outside your comfort zone. Whatever it is, just do one extra thing every day to get outside of your comfort zone. I think that's like. A good move in life in general, but certainly for learning language in Japanese, I would just say simply, you know, mo nan demo chosen shite mite kudasai. Hey guys, thanks for making it to the end of the podcast. Comment down below what your favorite Japanese song is. But of course, we gotta go shout out our patrons: Cedric Ferraz, Kevin Allen, Darren, Drew, Jack, Joey Cage, Nani, Meredith, MKSX, Suzu, Yuan, Sad Boy. Peace.